afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but does have questions. And the program's designed really for someone like me because there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bothering me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Pastor Bill Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is 314-821-0850. Anywhere in the lower 48, you can call us in toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Bill, welcome to the front porch again. Hey, good to be back. You know, I I never listened to your your intro thing. I'm not here for a deep theological discussion. Well, <laughs> it depends what? Yeah, what, what we, you mean. What do we? <laughs> you know, we don't have sports to talk about, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't follow sports. Well, <laughs> there's nothing to follow. <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, I mean, like nothing's happening. So, and I don't want to talk about COVID. I'm. I'm I'm talked out. Yeah, so, me too. I do have, though, it, it is, uh, it's unusual, but I actually do have uh, the remnants, at least, of, of an iced tea in front of me, uh, which is front porch material, mm-hmm. unsweetened. I'm not from the South. Uh, in fact, it's, it's green, iced green iced tea. Uh, it's uh, from a Vietnamese place I got lunch from. So, But it is, you know, it's front porch, so, and it's hot. We're very hot. We're triple digits hot. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I've been reading about that, and I've had some uh, friends back in Palm Springs who have been telling me the uh, temperature there has been topping 120 sometimes. Yeah, you know, for Christmas, I got my wife one of these weather stations, mm-hmm. you know, that you put up on a pole, and, and it gives you, like, and then it, it, uh, it's it got a little console that sits inside, so all you got to do is kind of hit a button, and it lights up, and, and you can see the wind, barometric pressure, UV, brightness index i mean it's got all kinds of stuff so she she loves it she's a farm girl so she farm people are just you know weather is everything weather weather is like the weather report for a farmer is like the stock report for a a, a trader a stock trader you know an investor and uh so she just loves that thing but yeah it's kind of like it's grim watching that temperature <laughs> go up and up and up and up. So, yeah, we're going to be hitting uh, serious triple digits over the yeah. weekend. I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, and I'm sure you've heard the, well, it's a dry heat nonsense that people throw. Uh, and my it, reply to when people say that is, so is my oven. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I, I experienced a true dry heat uh, during a summer thing, I was doing some business down in um, Arizona. It wasn't Phoenix. What? What? What's the other one? Tucson. Tempe? No, Tucson. It was in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, and it was hot. It was hot, and that truly was a dry heat. This is. This was the first place I've ever seen, um, uh, like water fountains being used actually as heat exchangers. Oh you know, yeah. The, uh, they'd, they'd use uh, evaporative cooling, and I remember going in the swimming pool at the hotel. It was about nine at night. So sun had set, still like in the 90s, very hot. Uh, got in the pool, did a few laps, got out of the pool, was shivering. I mean, the water was evaporating so fast that for 90 seconds, I was cold. 
Yeah, I remember when I lived in. And then, then the water all evaporated, and I was I was just miserable again. <laughs> well, it was a dry I, heat. When I lived in Palm Springs, I mean, it, it wasn't unusual for the humidity to be in single digits. Oh yeah. And uh, the the sidewalks along the main street of town all had misters. Yeah. So you'd, yeah. you'd walk under those, and that would drop the temperature about 15 degrees. Yeah, all the restaurants have that. Yeah, and you know the, the, the water, the water. Well, sometimes you know one of those units is malfunctioning, so it's actually not misting; it's more like spitting. You know. And oh yeah. <laughs> I, I remember sitting, I was sitting outside having lunch in Palm Springs in the summer, and and uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, is it raining? What what's the problem here? It's one of those mister things was not working properly at all. But yeah, that does happen. <laughs> Well, since we're on the front porch, what's on your mind today? I actually do have something on my mind I okay. want to talk to you about. Hmm. Okay. Now, Luther has written about the concept of vocation. Mm-hmm. That is that we have these chores, we have these duties, we have these abilities, and doing them, following your vocation, is what he's intended for us to do and in his way to honor God. Now... You and I, then, apparently have our vocations, and how did we arrive at that? I mean, did you always want to be a minister? Hmm. What happened? Why did you decide to become a minister? Well, um, hmm. vocation, let's start there. Vocation, uh, vocare, from the Latin vocatio, a calling. We get the word also vox, voice comes comes from that. So to hear a calling, um, I think probably in its in its more most original sense, it was to hear a divine calling to to uh, hear a calling to the priesthood, say, or a religious order or something like that. That's one of the that's one of the um, that's probably the first definition in the dictionary is is a calling to religious life. Uh, Luther took it a little differently. L- Luther took it as um, a calling in life that everybody had uh, his or her place and purpose. Uh, this this place where God has put you and this purpose to serve your neighbor. Um, and neighbor also includes your family and, and your children, your spouse, uh, where God has located you and how God has gifted you. So it's 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 not strictly religious uh, in in the way Luther speaks of it, but he speaks of vocation as one's calling in life. Um, and you know, you see little indicators of like in the confession, the the order of confession in the small catechism. Here, consider your station in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, a mother, son, daughter, master, mistress, servant? You know, in other words, who are you with respect to the people around you? So that's that's kind of part of that concept of vocation. Um, it doesn't translate quite as well in modern life, I find, because, uh, you know, in Luther's day, you, you were pretty much fated to a certain strata in society and a certain... Uh, you were given something to do. You didn't have a lot of choices. You know, we have these endless choices, and therefore we can't decide what we want to do when we grow up. You know, uh, when Luther was growing up, his father fully intended him to study law, and uh, because his father owned a mining company and and he needed a lawyer, and so you know, when you that's what you have sons for. It's like on the farm, you have sons to work the farm, right? Yeah. So. So, uh, but you know, he needed he needed his legal issues covered, and Martin was the chosen one to go to law school, and that's what he prepared for, and he was all set to begin 
legal law studies. Uh, that summer when he got caught in a thunderstorm and he prayed to St. Anne, the patron saint of minors, and cut a deal with St. Anne that if she spared him this, the, you know, through the storm, and it must have been quite a storm, then uh, he, would, uh, he would go into a religious order. And so she, he was spared, and so that's how he became an Augustinian friar, much to the chagrin of his father. His father was very upset about this. Uh, in fact, this might have been considered uh, an act of disobedience toward his father because uh, Luther's lot in life had been assigned, and, and now uh, he's put himself in a religious order. Yeah, violating the Fourth Commandment. Yeah, I, I don't know that it would have been viewed that way, but, you know, I mean, this is, but this is how you... you you know, it, it's it's how you got to do what you do, is you were basically given it. Uh, today we have choices, and so the choices are a little bit freer, and, and uh, most of us are not fated to, um, to you know, a particular, at least in this country. In, in other countries, you are. You know, if you're the son of a miner, you're going into mining. If you're the son of a metal worker, you're going to metal work. You know, you need to kind of carry on your father's legacy, the business, the farm, whatever. But we uh, we, we tend to have uh, choices, and choices then kind of kind of cloud the issue. You have less of a sense of something being given to you than something you've decided to do. It becomes much more, for us, self-centered and ego-centered, you know. And, and then we start looking for odd things in our vocation. We look for fulfillment or happiness or meaning or something like that. And uh, that probably will overload uh, vocation. <laughs> That's more than vocation. Yeah, I'm, bear, not, I'm not entirely sure I buy that, Bill. Uh, yeah, but we want to seek out the uh, professions and and do th and do things that bring us satisfaction uh would it be possible that this is something that is divinely guided well <laughs> i don't know um you know to take my my you know my story is as i started in science i was always fascinated by science and uh, ever since really grammar school and uh, you know, the, yeah, it's always influential teachers. I think so. Rather than parents steering me one particular way, uh, what uh, what kind of guided me was was teachers that that I admired and respected and 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 had a zeal for what they were teaching. So my math teachers, my science teachers, were always the the teachers that inspired me. So it was pretty natural for me to go into science, and I was good at it. I was good at math and. And, you know, just good at the scientific way of looking at things. So I, I enjoyed that. And, and that's just kind of, you know, you once you start down a path, the path kind of opens to you or it doesn't, you know. And um, and so, you know, for me, it was a pretty easy route to follow uh, until I kind of uh, lost my way uh, in my Ph.D. studies, because I, 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 you know, when you're in a doctoral program, you have to know why you're in there. Um, because it, it's it's very arduous. It takes a long time. It's it's you have no life, and you got to know why you're there. And and I kind of lost my way in that because uh, I didn't want to go into academic science, and I didn't really I wasn't all that enamored of industrial science either. So it's like, well, what's left? You know, I can't think of anything. So that's when I took you know backed away from that and got a job and and worked in in industrial science for. Uh, six or seven years, and then decided to go to the seminary. But in all those decisions, you know, I, I kind of feel like it, it, these were just my decisions. I, I prayerfully considered them, but I heard no voice, no vocatio, saying go to the seminary or, or study theology. 
this was just something that I decided would be more meaningful, more satisfying, in your words, more rewarding. And, but but um, from science to theology, I mean, that's quite a leap. Yeah, well, but you know, it, it's like I never, I never stopped being a believer when I was a scientist. I'd always went to church on Sunday, and uh, and uh, you know, I had pastors who were very science. Yeah, the, these were in academic communities, you know, so uh, they're very science oriented or, or ad, very admiring of science. They didn't, you know, view science as the great boogeyman of religion or something like that. So there's lots of lots of lively discussion and. And uh, so these were these were not incompatible for me. These were just different things to do. One was more people oriented. One was more material oriented. And uh, I had this notion that I might be more satisfied working with people. That's a that's a mistake that many people make who don't work with people. They think they like, they want to work with people, and you know, then they then they start and then they realize that's not, <laughs> not a good. I think William Williman said that he said you know when he was at Duke University, he said students would come and say I'd, I'd like to I'd like to go into a vocation that works with people, and he'd say Oh, I see you don't work with people much. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, am I more satisfied today than I was in science? Yes. Uh, not, I don't, I wouldn't say yes or no. I mean, I, huh. it's, 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 it's good. Uh, I don't regret what I do. Um, but I find that I still go back to uh, some of those, those things that I had learned. And I still have this need to, um, to rearrange the the natural world, you know, I mean, science takes the natural world apart and study and analyzes. It. That's what an analysis means to take apart. Um, and so I still do that, you know. I, I cook, um, you know, and I I consider myself a very good cook, and you know, make bread, and I've I've got a full on wood shop in my garage, and turn out you know furniture and boxes and craft things and stuff like that. And you know, my wife says that's that's my laboratory. I have this. I have this need to have a bench and and mm -hmm. and to rearrange materials. So, uh, as satisfying as the spiritual life is in a spiritual vocation, I have this need to uh, generate a lot of noise and sawdust and stuff like that. Well, I, I can see that. Uh, I I'm a little surprised that uh, I, that you don't find this any more satisfying than when you were doing science. Uh, but, you know. Well, I, I can, you know, I don't, I don't think this is, well, it's a front porch conversation. So this is the kind of, I mean, it's the kind of, kind of conversation I would have with any of my parishioners. But one of the, uh, every vocation has its kind of its, its ups and downs, its mm -hmm. challenges, its opportunities, its frustrations. Um, it's all work. Uh, you know, one time I had a member say to me, oh, you got the best job in the world. You work the greatest boss in the world. And I said, I said, you know, I said, I have yet to see uh, the name Jesus Christ on the signature line of my paycheck. Uh, <laughs> and I said, when, when you when you kind of get a grasp of that, you'll understand why this is a very conflicted vocation, you know, because you serve many masters. You serve the synod, you serve the district and your bishop, the district president. You serve the congregation and the will of the voters assembly and you serve God. But, you know, God's kind of, you know, he's. He's he's there, but he's he's awfully quiet. You know, you all you have you have the word of God, but you you, know, you have these like these these loyalties that you know, uh, and that word of God relationship is really governed more by conscience than anything else too. So yeah, you you have to do deal with your own inner wrestlings. So it's 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 a vocation that has a lot of internal challenges to it. 
And uh, that I didn't realize. I, I don't think I fully appreciated at the time that uh, in science, you know, experiment goes bad, you can walk away from it. Uh, in, in pastoring, relationships go bad. It, it, you never forget them. No, and, I'm sure uh, you don't. Yeah. And so my, my pastor warned me, you know, he tried for two years to dissuade me from, from doing this and uh, refused to give me his blessing. And, uh, you know, because I did about two years of preparation, including learning Greek and some other things. And, and uh, but he was very, he, he, and, and he said to me once, and I'll never forget this, and he was right, but I didn't understand him at the time. He said, you will have your heart broken in ways you cannot imagine. Mm. And uh, that's true. That's right. Um, and it, it, it takes its toll on you after all. That's why older pastors, some of them are like me, are kind of, you know, quirky. And uh, that's, that's why some, uh, you know, get to a certain point and they, they, they check out. They, they do something else. They move on. Um, and, you know, it's not unfaithfulness. It's just that you can only take the battlefield for so long. But we also have a lot of, of uh, pastors who are in their second careers. We have that, too. That's right. And, and in a sense, that's a kind of, you know, I think that's a healthy vocational move. You know, institutionally, the church kind of gets a little anxious because um, they don't get the full 40 years out of them. You know, that's a, we kind of look at workers, they're, they're human resources, you know. And so, you know, eh, you got a second career guy, you know, maybe he's good for 10 or 15. But, you know, do we really get our return on investment on them or something like that? But on the other hand, I mean, they are bringing a wealth of, of world experience. Uh, they've probably raised families. Some have started and run businesses. Uh, but they, you know, they know the world of work uh, in, in the way the people in their congregation do. And, and I, I think there's, there's a great value in that. So, um, yeah, that, that, and that's been a more recent thing. This is uh, people who are able to retire early and have uh, something of a war chest uh, that allows them to pursue the ministry in a slightly different way than just going blasting through school and uh, going going straight to ordination. I, I think I'm going to uh, use the word epiphany. Probably I'm misusing it in my own case here. And let's see where that goes. Uh, you know, I was in college during the Vietnam era and I fully expected that I was going to be in the military and, in fact, was taking ROTC. And this was my plan, if you will. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> hey, I'm going to be called up. I'm going to be in uniform. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, and then guess what happened? Turns out I failed, I failed the physical. And so yeah, that'll, that'll change your plans right there, won't it? <laughs> it really did. It really did. Suddenly I had no idea what was ahead of me in my future. Absolutely none. And so, uh, make a long story short, I dropped out of college at the end of my junior year, uh, took a job in a hospital I absolutely hated for about a year and a half. And I was so desperate to get out of there, I enrolled at uh, Southern Illinois University uh, near here in St. Louis. And just on a whim, signed up for the mass communications course. And they turns out they were just opening up a new radio station. WSI. In fact, September the 4th of this year marks my 50th anniversary on radio. I, on September the 4th, 1970, I was on the air for the first time. And wow, hey, this was neat. I really, really enjoyed the microphone and the knobs and the flashing lights and everything. And that was really fun. Didn't quite 
didn't quite see how that was going to work, but I knew something, it had to be something associated with this, with communications. And then fate once again intervened. I met a girl. Oh, yeah. That's the other great rearranger of plans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I uh, met a girl. <laughs> I met a girl. And, <sighs> and uh, she decided she was going to go. She was, she, was, she was a New Yorker, and she decided she didn't like St. Louis. She was going to go back to New York. And like an idiot, I followed her. <laughs> <laughs> Could not get a job in uh, broadcasting to save my neck in that market. So uh, <laughs> I wound up, of all things, uh, Wargaming on a, on board board war games. That's been my hobby ever since I was like twelve years old. Oh yeah, I got friends who do that. Oh yeah, and uh, turned out that the uh, one of the major companies that made those things was based in New York, and uh, they tested their games every Friday night. So I volunteered because I have plenty of time. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so, right. so with an abundance of free time on his hands, he decided to play war games. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and, you were uh, like you were like a millennial before your before your time, you know. I mean, now now you play video games in your mom's basement all the time. But but uh, but at least you were out there. You're playing you're playing board games. Oh yeah, and uh, weren't I, getting paid for it though, right? This no, voluntary. I, I was just volunteering, having a lot of yeah. fun, and then after a while, they said, "Hey, why don't you join us and do this full time?" Aha. Uh -huh. And so I joined the company, Simulations Publications, it was called, and I became a game designer and developer. For about three years, I was making games. Hmm. In fact, I've, I don't even know the number, something like 13, 15 games out there that I designed. Seriously? Uh, yeah, seriously. And while I enjoyed it, and my coworkers were a wonderfully quirky bunch of people, <laughs> uh, I somehow just couldn't take it seriously. You know, I was well, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like you ask, well, what what's what's the ultimate meaning of what I do here? You mm -hmm. know, uh, I, I make board games. Now, you know, I think you can step back and say, you know, you provide um, every vocation somehow in the in the community of of humanity um, adds value to the community, or it should, you know, unless you're a parasite and just kind of <laughs> sucking resources off of society. But, 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 you know, what you do, it, you, whether it's under that category of play or work or worship, um, you know, what you do adds value to, to the, the greater community. And, you know, we do have a need to uh, well, board games bring people together uh, socially around the table. Uh, my experience of it is a very, very social activity. Um, and uh, and the, they're also a little diversion, a little uh, a rest from the strains and pressures of your, uh, you know, your, your day to day nine to five job. And uh, and we need that too. Oh, you know, one of the things about vocation is that we're we're not defined by what we do. I, I think sometimes people will talk um, like that. I'm not sure I buy that. I think to a large extent we are defined by that. Uh, I know no, I am. I know because, I am. Because see, the implication there is if that's your identity, then when you don't do it, you're nobody. So no, 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 no. That's not quite what I'm saying here. I mean, like when I was at the game company. As I said, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing there. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But it something was missing. As I said, you know, I just couldn't really take it seriously. And so as the time passed and the uh, romance with that lady uh, cooled, 
and uh, I decided, you know, since I was over and, over and above the fact that I always loved broadcasting, I always loved radio, I've been a news junkie all my life. Heck, my dad was a journalist. And so, um, I guess, not quite on a whim, but I uh, decided I'm going to get a master's degree in journalism and follow, go. go to broadcast journalism. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, left New York, wound up at Northwestern University, studied there for the, the, the longest and hardest year of my life. <laughs> Had I known how tough it was going to be, I'm not sure I'd have done it. Uh, and that's good. You, you you shouldn't know. You should just go in there and just do it. And one, you know, once yeah. you're in, then you don't want to you don't want to fail. So you got to got to finish it. But, oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. you realize, or at least you know, I realized that you know my bridges were burned. I had no choice. I had to complete this. See, I like two things about your story. One is that it meanders. It's not it's not a straight uh, A to B straight line. Nor is mine. And and I think that's good. I and nor was Luther's. You know, Luther's supposed to be a lawyer, and then he ends up being a, a doctor of theology and uh, Augustinian friar and reformer. And and you know, I don't think at the time he prayed to Saint Anne that he was expecting to get married and and have kids and uh, you know all the and be a reformer of the church. <laughs> uh, the, so the second thing that I like about your story is a common uh, thing in all vocational narrative is the element of it just so happened. You know, it just so happened that I was in New York or it just so happened I met a person or it just so happened mm -hmm. that I did this. And and these things become little pivotal. They, they become little pivotal moments that propel us into uh, various kinds of uh, of things to do, ways to exercise our gifts. Oh, yeah. And uh, and, you know, I, I don't know whether we talked about it on this show or not, but, uh, you know, God loves hiding behind dumb luck you know that's that's the <laughs> I that's, heard that, but I believe that's it. the book of esther you know the book of <sighs> esther is a book of it just so happens yeah. uh you know god saves his people by it just so happens but god is never mentioned in the book of esther it's like he's not there but he is there uh hiding under what appears to be dumb luck everything just falls into place and uh and that's a great place for the god who doesn't wish to be seen except in the face of his son jesus that's a great place to hide is dumb luck he can always pass it off as just you know it just so happened <laughs> <laughs> and you know I, I, that i believe is that you know we have these pivotal moments in our life when i failed the physical when i followed the girl when i went to uh the games and the, what have you. Yeah, those are pivotal moments, and they all are things that helped shape what I am today and put me on the path that I am on today. And let's talk some more about that after the break, because we're getting up to that time, Bill. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Yeah. 
idea that our creation is the result of a fluke and accident is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Added to the collection at Museum of the Bible in 2020 is the Tony Evans Study Bible. Dr. Tony Evans is senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Church in Dallas and author of over 100 books and resources. The first African American to earn a doctorate of theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, he was named one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world by Baylor University. His radio broadcast, The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, is heard on over 1,400 outlets in more than 130 countries. Dr. Evans' sermons are downloaded more than 20 million times annually. This study Bible is the product of Evans' 50 years of experience as a minister and pastor, containing commentary and notes that help teach a kingdom-oriented mindset. Engage with the Bible, this book of books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is it, and today's pastor is Bill Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran, uh, Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. And we are discussing vocation and how we got to where we are at this particular stage in life. And I think Bill and I have both agreed that we are given a number of turning points in our life, uh, things that we don't expect but have an enormous impact on our lives. And my belief is that these turning points are perhaps divinely guided to get us to do what we want, we eventually wind up doing in service to God. Oh. See, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, that much of a divine chess player sort of guy uh, because I have this theory, see, if God has a plan, then he ought to at least have the common decency to tell us what it is. <laughs> hey, it's his plan, not ours. Well, but you know, I can't run. I can't run with that either, conceptually or biblically. I do know that it's God's will that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, that that part of the God's will I understand. The the uh, the does he have a particular purpose for me? I'm not so sure. I I, I think that um, I I think that. 
within the, within the realm of what's allowable, you know, what what's commendable according to God's word, we're kind of free to do whatever we want, and God will bless us. When I was a vicar, I, I was parked right next door to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, oh, the buckle the buckle of the Bible Belt. Okay, you know, and so you got a lot of kids there, evangelicals and whatnot, who are in school, and they're trying to you know decide on their major. And they're doing a lot of praying and uh, waiting for that vocatio, that that voice, that calling, to tell them what to major in. What's you know, what are they going to do? And and so a lot of them would drop in to talk to the vicar because you know I was just you know I was young enough that I'm just still kind of within their range and uh, and they knew the church next door to uh, Oral Roberts University, kind of get a second opinion. You know, and so they'd they'd come in and and I'd ask them things like, well, what are you good at, and what do other people say that you're good at? Has has anybody ever said, you know, oh, you really, you know, you you really do this well, even though you don't think you do it well, and and they seemed rather puzzled about it because the questions were very practical, um, very, if I will, first article kind of uh, things, is you know, and it's really kind of what are your gifts, and and especially what do other people say. Uh, because, you know, like we all think we can sing. <laughs> Other people will tell you if you can sing or not. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, but, but that vocational question really became a question of in what ways has God gifted me and how can I use those gifts uh, to his praise and glory and honor and also to the service of, of neighbor. And so it's because, you know, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, they too serve God. This was Luther's great insight in vocation, that the mother caring for her child, the father caring for his family. uh, These are vocations. These are holy callings, no less holy than a monastic praying the hours, you know, or or engaging in deep contemplation and prayer. These, this, this was, this was a, a, this was a calling, a high spiritual calling. It was our priesthood, and uh, and so that's that's Luther's contribution to the notion of vocation, and it gets it out of the religious realm. In fact, I would say this. I don't know a few times when we were on the porch uh, before we talked about three ordos you know the political order mm-hmm. the economic order the household but that's really the economic order and the spiritual order the the church and and um, you know our vocation extends into all those all those ordos you know so we're citizens and so part of our vocation our vocation is to vote our vocation is to be a part of the political process so we have we have um, we have callings and duties and responsibilities in the economic order, in the care for our families and provision of our families. And we have uh, callings, duties, responsibilities in the spiritual order uh, in our churches as members of con- the congregation, you know, that we, we all have a place and, and a purpose there. And I think this this whole thing all bundled together is our vocation. You know, I don't say that I'm a pastor. When so, in fact, I have a personal business card. I, I was inspired by Robert Fulgham. The guy who um, wrote the book "Everything I Needed to Know" I learned in kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, good writer. He's a, he's good, and and but he 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 said that he has a business card that just has his name on it because he says that's what I do, <laughs> and only I can do it. So this I I decided I have so I have a personal business card. It just has my name on it, and then underneath my name in smaller letters it says Lutheran pastor, writer, speaker, woodworker, bread maker. See, that's what I want people to know. Okay. 
But I, w- I would never say I am a pastor. That's one of the things I do. But I, I am not that. That's not my, I'm a child of God. That's my identity. <laughs> but I'm not a pastor. Nor was I a chemist. I, you know, I did science. I, I worked as a scientist. But, but that wasn't my identity. Well, you know, we have a number of roles to play um, in in life. You know, husband, father, uh, citizen, what have you. Uh, but I still think so much of this is actually divinely guided. We may not see it at the time. And one area where I, 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 I don't know if you've ever heard this one, Bill, but uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah. And that certainly <laughs> was the case with me. Yeah, I, 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 I think we're on the opposite side of this. I, I, I think that God creates in freedom and he allows things to act in freedom. And then he reconciles all possibilities for good and blessing in the death of his son, Jesus. So it's always win-win. We pastors approach that when we get a call. There's that word again, call. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm called to be pastor at Holy Trinity in Hacienda Heights. And, uh, you know, in a few top junctures along the way, I received a call to serve at another congregation and I had to decide where, what I'm going to do. Do I stay? Do I go? What do I do? You know, and so how am I going to figure that out? Well, you know, you ask everybody, pray for me. Well, you know, in my congregation, half the people are praying, please make them go. And the other half, <laughs> please don't make them go. So what's a God to do? I mean, you know, and, and I always tell the guys that, you know, so just ask your wife where she wants to live and then go there. That's about as divine call as you're going to get. Okay. So just, just do it. But see, I, my feeling is that it doesn't matter. You can go, you can stay. God will bless you either way, you know. Um, but he's making, he's, he's putting that opportunity in front of you. And so those are one of those pivotal moments. It's a pivotal moment in a pastor's career where he asks the question, do I stay or do I go? And it's pivotal for the congregation in their life and growth and, and whatnot, too. But the it's win-win. There's no wrong answer in this. Otherwise, God is playing a very cruel game. It's like Oscar Wilde said, if, if, if life is a play and God is the director, I want to have a few words with him about, about the part <laughs> I'm playing. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and for me, that's more gospel way of looking at things. You can't decide wrong. Um, you know, and so, and, and it kind of alleviates the guilt, you know, like they're guys, they, they, they decide to go to seminary. And then after about three quarters of seminary, they decide this is not their cup of tea. And some of, these, some of them feel very guilty because they feel like they're letting God down or they're let, you know, they're, they're letting, uh, you know, that God had called them and they failed. Yeah. No, no, you haven't. You know, you, I, I never felt when I went to the seminary that I was called to the ministry. I, I just wanted to study theology for a while. That's all. And, and, uh, and, and that turned out to be good because uh, I remember talking to one of my professors who was in the admissions committee and he goes, you know, whenever we get guys who say God has called me to the ministry on the application of the seminary, he said, Oh, we always say, we'll see. <laughs> you, you got four years of a program to yeah. pass first <laughs> we'll see and like i said about northwestern if i'd known just how hard it was going to be not sure i'd have done it well yeah and uh, but that's that's true i think of any venture uh, had had i known today what uh what the ministry entailed and what it would be about 28 years later probably wouldn't have gone into it probably would have stayed in science 
but you know, being there and looking back, I would not have, I would not trade any of the experiences, and and the joys and the sorrows. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so you know, it is what it is. But yeah. but at the back end, uh, twenty eight. Well, it would have been more like thirty two years ago when I decided to do this. Um, had I known, I probably wouldn't have done it. I, I probably uh, I probably would have stayed the course or, or done something or get a food truck. Yeah, and like you said you earlier, know. you know, it's a, probably a good thing that we don't know these things in no. advance. And and I'm I'm with you on the fact that where I said uh, had I known, I probably wouldn't have done it. But boy, am I glad I did do it. Yeah. Well, and and I think you know that's the thing is is that when you when at any juncture in your life you, you know when you're standing there you, all you have is the present moment you don't know what the future is going to be you know you could get COVID tomorrow and be down ten days from now okay so or you know you could get hit by a bus or a stray bullet or who knows what happens um, so the future is not yours you can only speculate about that and hope. You know, our our future view is hopeful because we know it ends in resurrection and life. Mm -hmm. um, the past is reconciled by the death of Jesus, so there's no point in in rehashing. Uh, you know, the past it it's it it is it it has it has brought you where you are today. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And and you know, I mean, for some people, that's that's maybe a failed marriage or two. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a bad vocational choice. Uh, you know, most paths aren't linear. They don't just go from you know straight line from A to B, and then then you retire. Oh uh, no, my, no, they they bounce. My all dad over the place. did that. My dad did that. I grew up with that. He he worked for the same company for thirty two years, and then he retired early, and uh, and so. Uh, but but in general, that's not people's vocational story. Uh, look at Moses. I mean, he was, he was like eighty years old when he you know he was doing shepherding, yeah. just hanging out with sheep. And 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 he becomes a you know he becomes the man. Um, now that was a little bit more direct hand of God. I will I will I will fess up to that one. Yeah, I mean, but God I spoke to him you and I are not Moses, okay? So, but yeah, no Moses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when when a burning bush that doesn't burn up is talking to you, you you you're gonna pay attention to this, okay? This... <laughs> but the point, I... good one. Uh, but the one of the points I'm trying to make though is that when you I, I think that you f get a certain degree of satisfaction you know something in the back of your mind you know that this is right this is what you are meant to do I, I recall with me uh, when I finally got the graduate degree and what have you I was working for a station down in Alabama and uh, I forgot exactly what it was we were, we were dealing with some kind of a breaking story and I remember running around this newsroom and trying to see what's going on and getting my stuff together. And I thought to myself, wow, and I'm actually getting paid for this. <laughs> that's, well, that's fun when you can get that. Not everybody can get that. Yeah. Not all work has that level of satisfaction. No, see, it and doesn't. I think that's, that's and, where and, avocations and hobbies yeah. and, and things like that come in. And hobbies save, believe me, I, I, I mentioned about the war gaming. I still do it to this day. There you go. Uh, mostly uh, on on video. I remember my mother, <laughs> my, when I was a teenager, my mother saying, Kip, you really ought to stop this gaming thing and get a hobby that's going to last you for life, like ham radio. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, moms always worry about that. You can't, you can't do this for a living, you know. <laughs> but... See, mine was the opposite. When I, when, I, when I called my parents to say... 
you know, at age 28, that I was basically jettisoning um, my undergraduate and graduate career in science and going to the seminary. Um, my mom was mortified. <laughs> why? She says, "Why do you want to do that?" She goes, "You, you know how we treat our pastors." <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so I got about as cool a reception from mom as I did from uh, from uh, the, my my pastor at the time, who was trying to dissuade me from from going into the ministry. Um, and and I, quite frankly, when when young men approach me about that, I'm I'm as uh, harshly realistic with them as uh, as my own pastor was. Uh, I I don't I think it's a big mistake to just kind of say, oh go to the seminary go to the seminary you know it's a wonderful what a great what a great you oh, know yeah. see see the world what a great adventure. Um, I I think I think we really you really have to be honest about about it and and really test it. Well, um, if, if a young person were to come to me today and say gee, I think I might want to be a journalist or I want to go into radio. I want to go into broadcasting. I would, I would tell them flat, flat out, don't do it. Yeah, right. You have no idea. <laughs> well, journalism has been deeply compromised since those idealistic days when you went into it. I yeah, it, it's been deeply compromised, and and uh, a bunch of other factors have entered in. And, and uh, you know, radio certainly is not what it was 30, 40 years ago. Back in the days when it was fun. <laughs> Although I'm still enjoying the heck out of what I'm doing now. Uh, but Well, that's when you have to say that because you're on air and they're listening, too. Well, See, also what happens. I'm a true. free man. I can say whatever I want. So, you know, that, that's... <laughs> That's, that's where that's where the danger the dangerous part comes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the point wh- where I'm going with this is two things. Wh- when if I'm building and right now I'm building a, a cherry nightstand shaker style, albeit with slight mission accents, um, yeah, but that's that's on the on the bench. It's in the finishing stages right now, so it's foremost on my mind. Uh, but when I'm in when I'm in the wood shop, I'm as much doing my vocation as I am writing a sermon, teaching a Bible class whatever well when i play the games um i get lost in them i'm i'm i do the same thing when i read i mean i'm, I'm oblivious well, it's an to exercise of the imagination me. yeah mm-hmm. oh absolutely I, I i get oblivious to what's going on around me and that that can be dangerous makes you or i find what well, is it it is if you're driving <laughs> <laughs> it's also if you're in a relationship with your wife. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, sometimes a little obliviousness goes a long ways uh, after you've been married for 30 years. Uh, well, I remember one time I, I was playing a game called Silent uh, Silent Hunter, which is a it's a U-boat game where you, you command a German U-boat during World War II. And I'd taken a break to go to the bathroom, and I came back, and my wife comes up to me and says, Kip, your computer's speaking German to you. <laughs> your computer that's 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 always bad when your computer is speaking german to you uh, you know I, I i for some reason i when we're talking about wives i i thought about there's a really good commercial I, lately i don't know what it is um we, we i've stopped watching the news on tv i've stopped watching most tv we just watch a baking show and and I'm I'm really hooked on gearhead shows, uh, you know the the Motor Trend channel mm-hmm. and 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 the, all the people who do the customized cars and the or they take a junker and they make this really spectacular car, and I don't even you know I barely know how to check the oil and and the tire pressure on my car. I, I'm not a car person at all, but I'm fascinated by these guys because they're so talented, you know the guys who can like make sheet metal do things and weld and and what they do, what they create out of a 
pile of rusted metal is just amazing to me. Uh, but there's a commercial running right now, which really tugs at my heartstrings. There's, there's a guy that, that features a guy, and you know he's a good-looking man, you know, kind of in his 60s, salt and pepper hair, and he's working on some kind of, a, you know, a project car in his garage. It's some sort of muscle car. It looks like a Challenger or Charger or something like that. Okay, and 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 his wife is there, and she's she's a, a, an attractive woman of approximately the same age too. See, so. I think it's two attractive people, but but like there's a scene where it's late at night and she wakes up and he's not he's not next to her in bed. And so she goes and she goes into the garage and there he is. He's 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 pouring over the parts catalog and the dashboard components and stuff. But but what I like about it is that she's okay with that. You see, she she she's like she she loves the passion that he has for this car. And it ends with the two of them riding around in the street, you know, this fully tricked out car. But I, I love that. I love that commercial because it's you know, this is clearly not something he does for a living. This is something that he does just out of love of cars. But it's not without service of neighbor because that catalog that he is uh, buying parts from, there are people employed uh, who, who make and supply parts for cars to keep cars running. You know, that whole fabric of community is, is, is working, even in our hobbies. See, so it's not, it's not just the primary thing that you do for a paycheck that is your vocation. Uh, are you father, mother, son, daughter, master, mistress, servant? That, that's, a, that's a lot bigger than what do you do for a living? What do you do for a paycheck? Yeah. See? So, and, and so um, I like, uh, I, I go back to Robert Fulgham. I, I do Bill Swirla. I, I'm the only one who can do this. And I try to do it as best as I can, uh, you know, and, and that, that means Bill Swirla, the pastor, but also the bread baker, the woodworker, the the gardener, the the scientist, the everything, you know, because uh, God has been very generous in first article of gifts to me, and and uh, it's my priesthood to employ those gifts. So, vocation and priesthood go together. Priesthood of believers, kind of thing. Priesthood mm -hmm. in a big in a big sense, lifting up your gifts and the creation as a thank offering to God. So that shaker table that I'm making, or that shaker nightstand, that's a lifting up. That's a priestly act. Interesting thought. I never quite considered the things that we do on the side. I, they're they're things that make us uh, make us a whole person, certainly. Uh, but I'm I'm not didn't quite think of it in those terms. I got to rethink this. See, I think I, I think we've got we've gotten hung up on the notion of career, and maybe that's that's kind of the gem from this conversation is that a career is not a vocation. A vocation is a much bigger, deeper, wider concept than a career. And, and I think career cheapens the notion of vocation. Hmm. See, and, 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 and that's when you get, that's when, that's when vocation becomes idle. You know, I give up everything for my career. I gave up, you know, I, I, you know, the, the people sacrifice all kinds of things and, and people for their career. And that's 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 idolatrous almost. So um, I, I've I've come to really dislike the 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 concept of career, and I think it's the cheap alternative, the godless alternative to priesthood and vocation. I, I'm fascinated by your concept that uh, it can be a form of idolatry. 
Well, you know, think of all the people who have uh, everything from uh, given up, uh, you know, any sort of life, given up children, uh, either having them or terminating them or whatever because of career. It was a bad time in my career. And I don't want to just single out women in this, too. Men, uh, the same way, they, they neglect their families because of the career. You know, they're married, but they, their wives never see them. Their children don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. um, they never go to church on Sunday cause the, because the career, the career is, is very demanding career. I've got to advance in my career. And uh, and see that kind of language. That's a, that's a big red flag. That's a warning that that idolatry is is that this this career has intruded into the center now. And and the center is is the God place. Only God can be there. Otherwise otherwise whatever's bouncing around the center of your being, your life, your identity, is uh, is idol is an idol unless it's unless it's God. And so uh, and vocation can do that too. But where God is at the center, then what we do. Uh, becomes a priestly offering to God. It becomes a holy vocation. Uh, what's the German word? Gestalt. Where the gestalt is like picture. Oh, it's you know where the where the uh, the sum is is greater than the, uh, the than the individual parts. Oh, I don't know, but the sum is the, the that's kind of that's almost yeah, Zen Buddhist. Where the sum is more than the more than the added. The, where the sum is, exceeds the value of the added parts. <laughs> Well, and that's us. That's us as beings. We're spiritual beings. We're economic beings. We're political beings. Getting back to that, those three ordos, and 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 we have duties, responsibilities, gifts to share in all of those things. And that, in its sum, is our vocatio, our priesthood, uh, by which uh, we bless others and we praise God. I think we also do have that little voice in the back of our head that says, "Yes, you're doing the right thing." <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I try to ignore the voices in my head. They're 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 they're, they're usually not good. They're not good. So I I I I will take I I will take an objective word <laughs> over that 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 inner voice any day. Um, I, I strive for inner silence. Silence is golden. I just love silence. Well, I remember again in my own in my own life. Uh, uh, Again, some years ago, uh, shortly after the uh, Seminex, uh, Seminex split, uh, I, I attended a couple of uh, of, uh, of the. I guess they, at the time they called the ELIM, Evangelical Lutheran yeah, Commission. Yeah, yeah. I attended a number of those services, and uh, there is that voice in the back of my head saying, "This is not it." Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and trust that you know when when whenever whenever you feel like it's just this is just that's that's like intuition is a gift from God too you know that's okay. that's where that's where you are able to quickly evaluate present circumstances against what you know and and if there's like a total disconnect you get that really uncomfortable feeling yeah. that says uh i no, i don't I, yeah, yeah i've 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 been i'm not gonna name names or anything but but i've i've had that ex that self-same experience too and it's like uh no we need to go now <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened uh, i think i'm gonna go back to the missouri senate <laughs> and so i did now having said that that too needs to be tested because i think the feeling may be informed or misinformed so you know you always have to kind of check that against an objective word of god okay that's why we have the apostolic scriptures. And now you have the word of our music center. Which I means hear it. It's the I end of the it. program. I hear it. Another another afternoon on the porch. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks As for always. having me, Kip. Okay, Bill. Until next time.
You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.